Jesus stamps everything with the word mine. And then he says, here you go, enjoy. Jesus stamps everything with the word mine. And then he says, here you go, enjoy. In other words, everything belongs to Jesus. And then he shares it all with us. He says, here you go and enjoy what is mine. Why? Why does Jesus create? And then why does he share all that he owns? The answer is because he is a giver. He is not a black hole of selfishness. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, and he makes God known to us as a communicating, life-giving, shining-out kind of God. He is no self-absorbed black hole sucking glory from all that exists. If anything, the arrows actually need to go in the other direction. God communicates to us in his Son, and he gives light to us, and he shows light to us, and he extends grace to us, and he shares all with us. He simply loves to give. As we know from John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave. Probably the most popular verse in all the Bible that a lot of unbelievers know. What do they hear? That God so loved the world that he gave. He didn't hoard. He gave. So God is a giver. That is who he is. And that's part of what Paul means when he said back in Colossians 1.12, we saw a few weeks ago, that the Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. All that Jesus is and has, he gives to us. He shares. He gives all that he owns. And he owns it all, by the way. Abraham Kuyper, an old neo-Calvinist Dutch pastor, one of my favorites, in the 1800s said this, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. That's where I got our big idea today. Kuyper is saying that Jesus, the true king, the only sovereign, reigns over all, all nations, all kingdoms, all states, all cities, all planets, all. And when I say all, I mean all. Jesus reigns over all. And he not only rules over all, everything belongs to him. And when I say everything, I mean everything. Everything belongs to Jesus. You, you belong to Jesus. Your dog, your 401k, your kids, your iPhone, your well-preserved collection of vintage Star Wars action figures, all of it, it belongs to Jesus. Jesus stamps everything in the universe mine. That's what Paul is saying in our passage today. So turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Look at verse 16 and hear the word of the Lord. For by him all things were created... In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So as we've seen over the last two weeks, and as we went back in time and looked at the church in the fourth century, 
We saw that Jesus was not created by God. He is God and he is the agent of creation. All things were created by him. Things in the heavenly realm and things of earth. And when Paul mentions thrones, dominions, or rulers or authorities, he's referring to the angelic realm, and he's really taking a shot at the false teachers who have crept into the Colossian church. We'll see that in a little bit as we move along in our series. But here Paul is referring to the angelic realm. Jesus created angels. Angels have not always been around. There came a point in time, you could put a date on the calendar, in eternity past, When Jesus created angels and all those weird creatures that fly around his throne, everything was created by Jesus and through Jesus and for Jesus. In other words, it's all for his glory. And in him, all things hold together. This world that Jesus created, though broken and damaged by Adam's sin, is still held together by Jesus. R.C. Sproul said, if there is one maverick molecule in the universe, one molecule running loose outside the scope of God's sovereign ordination, then, ladies and gentlemen, there is not the slightest confidence that you can have that any promise that God has ever made about the future will come to pass. Now, the point here is not that one little tiny molecule can topple the all-powerful God of the universe. The point is that Jesus reigns over all the nooks and crannies of the universe. Jesus reigns over all the electrons and protons, all the all of the universe. Nothing is outside his control. Nothing, not even one somewhat meaningless molecule, is outside of his care and control. Therefore, because Jesus is holding the universe together by his power, his promises can be trusted. Jesus keeps all the planets in orbit. He keeps asteroids from crashing into the earth and wiping us all out. We don't need Bruce Willis to get on a ship and fly to an asteroid and put a bomb on it and blow it up because it's headed towards earth. Jesus keeps that from happening. If he wants it to happen, there's nothing Bruce Willis and crew can do to stop it. All is under his care. Therefore, you can count on and trust in every promise in his word. There is no wimpy God making the promises that we find in the Bible. There is a God of power and there is a God of care behind each promise. And that word care is very important. Jesus cares about all his creation because he made it all. As the psalmist says in Psalm 145, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. He has mercy on on all his creation. It's actually the Hebrew word compassion. He has compassion for all his creation that's been broken and damaged by Adam's sin. All creation, even the people that you think Jesus might not have mercy on and have compassion for, he does. As Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. He's kind to all people. He has compassion on all people. Now, that, of course, does not mean that there will not be a final judgment one day. 
Everyone will stand before God and give an account of their life. But until that final day, until the final judgment, God mercifully cares for all of his creation, even those who actively rebel against him and hate him. He sends rain and gives sun to the righteous and the wicked. But please understand this about Jesus. Everything was created by him, through him, and for him, but not because he needed it. Not because he lacked anything. God is a God of no needs. He does not need us at all. He doesn't need all those weird Isaiah 6 creatures that fly around his throne crying, holy, holy, holy. He doesn't need them. He doesn't need creation. As the Westminster Confession of Faith tells us, God hath all life, (coughs) glory, goodness, blessedness in and of himself, and is alone in and unto himself all sufficient, not standing in need of any creatures which he hath made, nor deriving any glory from them. The theological way of saying this is aseity, A-S-E-I-T-Y comes from the Latin, uh, say, A-S-E. It means that God is in and of himself, or he is from himself. God's aseity means that he is self-existent and self-sufficient. It means that he has life in himself. It means that he has no needs. I just saw a clip of R.C. Sproul this morning talking about that. He's speaking about aseity. He said, I see that word... And I get chills up my spine because in that one little word is captured all of the glory of the perfection of God's being. He has life in and of himself. He doesn't need anyone. So buried within the phrase in Colossians 1.16, all things were created through him and for him, is the wonderful truth that the triune God did not need to create because he was complete in himself. He has no needs in eternity past. He did not need anything or anyone. He did not need to create anything in order to be God. He was complete within himself. And it is this God who is complete in himself and having no need. It is this God who decides to create the world. And so we must ask ourselves, then why did God create anything? He doesn't need anything. Why did he create anything? And the answer is because... He is love, and he wanted to share his love with creation, specifically his (coughs) elect children. And now my throat's going out. (coughs) God created out of his (coughs) triune love. I don't think the devil wants you to hear this. (coughs) I do believe in spiritual warfare. God created out of his triune love in order to share that love with others, Namely, you and me. He created Pismo Beach because he loves you and wanted to share his love with you. He created everything because he wanted to share his love with you. And so God's love is actually the ground or the reason why he created us and why he created everything. It is out of God's own glorious freedom that he creates. He was never forced to create. No one tied Jesus' arm behind his back and made him cry uncle so that he caved into their wishes and created this world. No, Jesus created out of his own divine freedom. And we were made 
to enjoy and to respond to and get swept up in the love that exists between God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. We were created to be swept away by this eternal love and to glorify him and enjoy him forever. But this poses a few questions. Because the triune God is a loving, giving, and sharing God, did he need to create? Did he need to create us in order to be loving, giving, and sharing? Did God have to create in order to experience love? Did God only become loving after he created? Did he create humanity so that he would have someone to love? The answer to all these questions is an emphatic no. God did not need to create in order to love because the triune God has been loving for all eternity. The three persons of the Trinity express love for one another in eternity past. God the Father has been loving his Son in the Spirit for all eternity. So loving others is not some strange thing for God. Loving others did not start in Genesis 1 within the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. No, God has been loving for all of eternity because God is love. Before God created the world, he was loving his son Jesus in the spirit. And that love spilled over into his choosing a people to share in that love. Jesus said this in his high priestly prayer in John 17. He said, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So Jesus stamps everything with the word mine. And then he says, here you go, enjoy The love Jesus has with his father in eternity past is his, but he's not stingy with it. He doesn't hoard God's love. Jesus isn't like the spoiled kid who won't share his toys with other kids. We've all seen that. No, he wants to share their love with us. He says to us, here, y'all enjoy this love. God sent Jesus so that we would get swept away like a tsunami with God's love for his own son, Jesus. This is the foundation of the Christian faith. It's the triune God loving his redeemed people with the love that he shared in eternity past. And we see the full expression of that in the cross. Because the cross of Jesus is God saying, come enjoy our eternal love, y'all. The cross is proof that God is a giver. He needs nothing, but he's willing to give everything, namely his own son, for our sins. And the God who needs nothing wants us, desires us. The God who needs nothing welcomes us and receives us. As the prophet Isaiah says, come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Four times we're invited with the words, come, 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 come. 
God must really mean it. He's just so persistent. Come. And apparently there's no cover charge. And everything at this party is free. Which is good if you're broke. We don't have to give God anything because he doesn't need anything. He's saying to all of us right now, come, everything is free. Because I've already paid for it all. You don't need to bring anything. I certainly don't need anything. Just come and eat. Delight yourself in me. So Jesus welcomes you today. He offers eternal life to you today. He offers forgiveness. He offers himself. It's a gift from the eternal, self-sufficient God. An invitation to come as you are. Jesus wants to share the love he has with the Father. God created humanity so that we would be swept away by his eternal love and glorify him and enjoy him forever. And that is not boring. Tell me that is not the most exciting news in the universe. It's what you were made for. It's what you were, you were to live for, to delight in, to soak up, to enjoy. And so lurking behind the phrase, all things were created through him and for him, is this truth that God created the world through his son Jesus because he loved creation and wanted to share the love that he has been enjoying for all of eternity. That means then that our love for God If it is to be an accurate reflection of Trinitarian love, our love for God must lead us to a deep and profound love for and appreciation of God, but also God's creation. Our love for God should push us out to love creation. So creation not only exists for God's glory, but creation also exists for humanity's good. We were made as image bearers of God, as very complex human beings, to know and love God and glorify Him, but also to take pleasure in all of creation by participating in it, by creating. We were made to be intimate with our spouses and to have babies and to enjoy creation and to share in all of God's many good gifts. So the triune God loved so much that he decided to create a world through which he could express himself and his fullness and his love. And it was not just any world that he created to do this. He created a world full of blueberry muffins and blistering guitar solos and blended smoothies and black clothing. To quote Abraham Kuyper again, he said, As an image bearer of God, man possesses the possibility both to create something beautiful and to delight in it. The world of sounds, the world of forms, the world of tints, and the world of poetic ideas can have no other source than God. And it is our privilege as bearers of his image to have a perception of this beautiful world, artistically to reproduce and humanly to enjoy it. We were made to create and to enjoy and to share and to celebrate just like Jesus does with his creation. We were made to make an exceptional batch of cookies and to not just make them but to delight in them and not just to delight in them but to share them with others. We were made not to just paint an awe-inspiring painting but to delight in it too. 
We were made to write poetry and then delight in it. We were made to make and to create and to delight and to celebrate. Why? Because this is what God does with his creation that he cares for. He creates and then he delights and he says, it's good. It's good. Look at it. And we are called to do the same. And one way that we see his care for for all his uh, creation is that he has given us so many good things in creation, so many good things that we get to enjoy. That quote from Abraham Kuyper that I just read uh, was revolutionary for me in 1993 when I read it in college. It set me free to not only create, but to enjoy the things that I create and to do it just for the sake of creating and enjoying to do a painting and delight in it, not have to be like, well, I'm a Christian. i got to put a Bible verse on this painting or it has no... No, to just create a painting of whatever and to just simply enjoy it for the sake of creating and enjoying and not trying to make it spiritual in any way. And it gave me a biblical worldview and it helped me to frame my life. And so my personal mission in life became... And then that's spilled over here at Grace because our mission here at Grace reflects this idea. We exist to ignite a passion in every person to glorify and enjoy God everywhere and in everything. Our mission statement as a church was birthed out of what Abraham Kuyper said. So as a church family, we want to ignite a passion in people to glorify and enjoy God all the time, wherever they go, whatever they do, however strong they like their coffee. We believe that this is why we were, we were created, to glorify and to enjoy God. We agree with the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question one. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And we glorify and we enjoy God when we enjoy the things of earth, the things of earth and then we trace them back to our Creator. So we were made to celebrate God and enjoy his blessings and in return thanksgiving to him for his goodness. Creation is a gift from God to us through which we can enjoy him, our creator. Let me say it again. Creation is a gift from God to us through which we can enjoy him, our creator. That means when we take delight in the elements of creation, when we take delight in a chocolate donut, for instance, it should provoke us and stir us and stimulate us to celebrate and enjoy God, our creator. It means that when we take delight in a worm moon, like we saw a few weeks ago, it should provoke and stir us and stimulate us to celebrate and enjoy God, our creator. To look at the moon and be like, oh my goodness, do you see that? And to think, wow, Jesus made that. What is he like? If the moon makes my jaw drop, what will happen to me when I see him? It means when we, when we take delight in smelling bacon cooking on the stove, right? You ever wake up, like someone's already up in the house and they're cooking bacon, and you wake up and like that's the first thing. You smell what? You're like, today is going to be a good day. To take delight in a good nap on Sunday afternoon take delight in a well-written hip-hop song with great beats and a catchy hook. All of these things should provoke us and stir us and stimulate us to celebrate and enjoy God, our creator. 
And that's exactly what we mean when we say that we exist to ignite a passion in every person to glorify and enjoy God everywhere and in everything. It's why we exist as a church. Through all of our ministries, all of our preaching, all of our meetings, through everything that we do here, we want to ignite this passion. We want to ignite this fire in people to glorify and enjoy God. But we don't limit that glorifying and enjoying God just within these walls. We want to glorify and enjoy God everywhere we go and in everything that we do. We want to ignite this passion in you to glorify and enjoy God even as you eat a donut. So you could say our mission statement is this. We exist to ignite a passion in every person to glorify and enjoy God everywhere and every time they eat a donut. That's what we mean by everywhere and in everything. I mean, how cool is that? We exist to ignite a passion in you to glorify and enjoy God every time you eat a donut or eat bacon or listen to the Beach Boys or stare at a worm moon or take a nap. I mean, we have to be the coolest church around. But it's true. We want you to leave grace every Sunday and say, what a Savior. Isn't God so good to us? He gave us Jesus. Let's go eat some tri-tip to celebrate. That's spiritual. That's a very spiritual thing to do, Grace, to glorify and enjoy God as you enjoy tri-tip. And people think Jesus is boring. He is the one, he is the creator who came up with these things that we call taste buds. He didn't have to give us taste buds. When's the last time you thanked the Lord for taste buds? He didn't have to make tri-tip taste so good, but he did. And that's one thing that Colossians 1 should cause you to give thanks for, taste buds. You're supposed to really read Colossians 1, 16 and 17 and say, thank you for taste buds, Jesus. What a wonderful design behind it all that we can eat things and drink things and have this wonderful sensation in our mouth. Christians should be known for our awe and wonder at everything that Jesus has created. Old Testament scholar Ralph Davis said that Christians should be seized with a rambunctious curiosity. He said, since God has left the fingerprints of his wisdom everywhere, and since there is no place where God does not furnish us with raw materials for godly thinking, Christians should be seized with a rambunctious curiosity to ponder his works, both the majestic and the mundane. The task of wisdom is joyfully to describe and investigate all God's works. We may not be Solomon's in insight, but we can gratefully examine the same data. We should learn to approach God's word and God's world with a rambunctious curiosity. We should pick up the Bible and be seized with this rambunctious curiosity as we ponder his words. Like, why did he say that? Why that word? Why that phrase? Why four chapters of names? So-and-so begets so-and-so, so-and-so begets. So what? You got to find out the so what. Be seized with a rambunctious curiosity when you pick up the Bible. We should look around creation and be seized with a rambunctious curiosity as we ponder his world, both the majestic and the mundane. Fact, rambunctiously curious Christians enjoy God's word and enjoy God's world more than others. Fact, rambunctiously curious Christians see God everywhere 
They connect him not just with the majestic, not just with the miraculous, not just church on Sunday morning, but they even connect him with the mundane and the ordinary, going through the motions and making the same kind of coffee every single morning. Rambunctiously curious Christians see God everywhere and in everything. They want to enjoy God everywhere and in everything. They pick up a leaf off the ground and they just stare at it and they just examine it and say, how curious is this leaf? They lift weights and sculpt their muscles. They stare at paintings in museums. They savor a perfect cup of coffee. They get lost in sunsets. They listen to pet sounds by the Beach Boys, the greatest album of all time, by the way. And they marvel at the songwriting genius of Brian Wilson. And they read a Flannery O'Connor story and they see the action of grace in territory held largely by the devil. And they watch The Mandalorian on Disney Plus and they say, this is the way. Rambunctiously curious Christians see everything in this world as connected to its creator. And they begin to understand that God is not a killjoy. No matter what some preacher has told you. They begin to understand that God is not uptight. And that God is not stingy. Part of what it means to be a human being made in the image of God is that we are called to enjoy God's world, to enjoy beasts and birds and reptiles and fish because God would have it no other way. He wants us to enjoy his creation. This is his plan. This is his heart's desire. This is the wisdom of God that we would enjoy donuts and enjoy coffee and enjoy the smell of bacon frying in a pan. And to enjoy naps and to enjoy nail-biting finishes to football games. And to enjoy books that are so compelling, they're so hard to put down. And we have to say to ourselves, just one more chapter before I go to bed. And to enjoy paintings and to enjoy sunsets and to enjoy grandkids. And the list just goes on and on and on. And God would have it no other way. So let me ask you this morning, is that how you view God? Is that what you think of when you think of God? I think so many Christians view God as this cosmic killjoy. I think heaven's just going to be us in these robes. There's like a fog machine, and all we're doing is singing hymns all day. No, we're going to be on the new earth, and we get to enjoy all of this again, but it'll be so much better. So many Christians think God is this uptight killjoy. I really think when we see Jesus, he's going to take each one of us, walk along the beach, whatever, put his arm around us and say, man, you were so uptight. I wish you would have relaxed. Man, God is not a cosmic killjoy. Do you think following Jesus is the most boring thing ever? Like you know you need to follow Jesus because you've been raised in the church, but it just seems like the other team is having more fun? Is that Christianity? I hope not. Because all day long we are bombarded with opportunities to enjoy God's creation and to trace that enjoyment all the way back to God and then to glorify and enjoy him as our wonderful, giving, sharing, creative creator. We have numerous opportunities daily to glorify and enjoy God through what we taste, see, smell, feel, hear. This was God's good design in creation. This was the way that God designed it. He would say, 
This is the way. Joe Rigney says, if we extend this divine endorsement of sight and taste, then here we see God enthusiastically endorsing our joy and delight in all sensible pleasures. That is, pleasures we receive through our bodily senses, pleasures that we see, smell, taste, touch, hear, provided they are enjoyed within the boundaries established by the giver of every good gift. Perhaps God could have done it another way. He might have made an immaterial world populated purely by spiritual beings. Infinite wisdom preferred stomachs and tongues. And every combination of sour, sweet, salty, and savory that the chefs on the Food Network can discover. Because that's what they are doing. Discovering all the ways that God chose to communicate his goodness, his sweetness, even his bitterness to human palates. My guess is that it will take a while. The creation of food, tongues, and the human digestive system is the product of infinite wisdom knitting the world together in a harmonious whole. The symphony of glory that sounds the triune being contains notes of corn salsa and sour patch kids, of sweet tea and rye bread, the kind that fills the belly. The variety of tastes creates categories and gives us edible images of divine things. Listen, God could have made an immaterial world where we were just spirits floating around with no bodies. But, In his infinite wisdom, he preferred stomachs and tongues and taste buds and Sour Patch Kids. Maybe not Sour Patch Kids because they've got a lot of like cancer-causing ingredients in them. So I actually wouldn't recommend the Sour Patch Kids. And Jesus might not either. In fact, we're going to vote on it later this year in California, I think, to get rid of Sour Patch Kids and, and Skittles out of our state. We don't even want people here making these things. If you can believe that, California might be doing the right thing for once. So you get to vote on that later. I don't know how you feel about Sour Patch Kids or Skittles. They taste great, but they're full of cancer-causing ingredients. And so as a state, we're going to vote to get rid of those things. Now, don't send me an email, okay? This is as political as I'm going to get. You want me to get political in the pulpit? I'm going to talk about Sour Patch Kids. It's about as political as I'm going to get. Let me ask you, do you ever feel guilty for having two donuts? Do you ever feel like it's not spiritual to spend three hours watching a football game and delighting in the skill of the players? Do you live with an underlying sense of shame and nagging guilt because you took delight in something that was not quote-unquote spiritual? Like God doesn't want you to enjoy a nice piece of toasted sourdough bread that is covered in butter? Is that you? Is that how you view God and his creation? Listen, the people of God have always celebrated God and his creation because celebration is important to God. We were made to celebrate and to delight and to enjoy God. We are a people who are called to celebrate. And we see God's passion to see his people celebrate throughout the scripture. In the Old Testament, Yahweh called the nation of Israel to celebrate him and his work through festivals, feasts, the sacrifices, the Sabbath. And many times telling them, eat and drink. What kind of God does that sound like? Feast after feast after feast after feast. Party after party after party after party. What kind of God does that sound like? It sounds like a God who likes to party. A God who likes to celebrate, not partying the way that you think. 
A God who is not a cosmic killjoy. A God who is infinitely happy and he wants his people to enter into his happiness. A God who prefers stomachs and tongues and taste buds. Think about it, y'all. God created this world and he did it all. And he needed nothing. He just spoke it all into existence. Everything was his idea. Different races of people, all his idea. All the tropical fish and birds and reptiles, his idea. All the galaxies, the ones we have yet to discover, his idea. Coffee, his idea. Barbecue, his idea. Music, his idea. Mayonnaise, straight from the mind of Satan. I'm not blaming that stuff on God. Jesus is good and he does good. So mayonnaise must definitely be the result of Adam's sin. By the way, I have to tell you something that happened to me Thursday or Friday night. I'm walking in the grocery store. I see this guy walk by with a black t-shirt on with these white letters. And I had to stop and take a picture of him. And I did. Because his shirt said, I hate mayonnaise. And I said, excuse me, I love your shirt can I take a picture of you? And he said, absolutely. And so I did. And when, when he walked away, he said, keep hating mayonnaise, bro. <laughs> I will. But seriously, when was the last time you stopped and looked closely and thought long about something in creation and traced all that wonder back to God? That a coffee cherry becomes a coffee bean that gets roasted and ground up in hot water and all that flavor is extracted. When's the last time you just looked at a painting and thought, wow, somebody did this? And then you trace it all back to God, your creator, to be in awe and wonder. When was the last time you enjoyed God as you enjoyed his creation? Everything was created by him, for him, and through him, and everything was created for you you to enjoy and so Jesus stamps everything with the word mine and then he says here you go enjoy so go enjoy God today enjoy his creation glorify him by enjoying what he created be a rambunctiously curious Christian and then give him thanks for sharing Jesus and give him thanks for so loving the world that he gave. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have revealed to us the triune God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you revealed to us that you are a giving God, a sharing God, a creative God, a God who makes things and looks at it and delights in it and says, oh man, this is good. You're not an uptight God. You're not a stingy God. You're not a cosmic killjoy. You're a God of joy and happiness. And we are in awe of you. Awe that you would give your own life for our many, many sins. And today we just want to say thank you. Thank you for your life, death, resurrection, and ascension. We long for your soon return, what will it be like when you make everything new? We will run around and say, this is good. Until that day, may we enjoy you, enjoy your creation, 
have compassion on others, share the good news of your life, death, resurrection, and ascension, and return with them, Lord. Make us a church, Lord, that makes a difference here in our city because you own Santa Maria. You own Orchid. You own California. You own it all. In your name we pray. Amen.